Welcome to The Higher Edge, a podcast for the brightest minds in higher education to hear from the change makers and rule breakers that are driving meaningful, impactful change for colleges and universities across the country. From improving operations to supporting student success, these are the stories that give you The Higher Edge. And now, your host, Brendan Aldridge. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Higher Edge. I'm Brendan Aldrich, and I'm here today with Phil Miller, the Managing Director of OpenLMS, one of the world's largest Moodle-based LMSs or learning management systems, and is commonly used by colleges and universities across the country, but also by thousands of companies outside higher ed to provide education and training to employees across a vast array of industries. Fun fact, OpenLMS employs currently about 150 people that are spread almost equally across three very geographically dispersed countries, the United States, Australia, and Colombia. Phil, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us here at The Higher Edge. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And speaking of Australia, I just got back from Australia last week, and I think last night was the first night I slept all the way through the night. So uh, the jet lag is pretty fierce when you're coming (laughs) in that direction. I could believe it. Phil, we're going to dive into a variety of topics related to learning management systems, especially during the last few years of the COVID-19 pandemic. But I wondered if you might share a little bit about your background leading up to your current role as the Managing Director of OpenLMS. Well, my background is very heavily ed tech uh, skewed. I uh, I was a longtime student. I got my master's in business and also a law degree. But through all that, I was doing all that in night school because I was working for an ed tech company called Angel Learning back in the early 2000s, um, which eventually got sold to Blackboard. I almost immediately quit. And then I joined another company called Moodle Rooms, which then got bought by Blackboard. And um, and I stayed with Blackboard for quite a while until until I decided to make a, a, a kind of a strange move. And that was to take the company that I brought into Blackboard, which is called Moodle Rooms, and bring it out of Blackboard. Uh, and that happened in 2020. So I've had some interesting roles as well. I served on the IMS Global Board for many years, which I think is an important standards body. And uh, so really just a, a, a full career in ed tech. Fun notes about me, I guess I've got four kids, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old triplets. So I do care heavily about the future of education. And in fact, if we could find a way to greatly reduce the cost of education about 11 years from now, I would really appreciate it. Really help me out in the future. Absolutely. Hey, Phil, so most people I know in higher ed are at least somewhat knowledgeable about the learning management systems they use. But I think what's really fascinating and what they might not be as familiar with is the idea of open source. But that's a key part of OpenLMS. So I wondered if you might share a bit about that. Yeah, I mean, open source is, is the core of who we are. So let's back up. What is open source? Open source means that the, the code of the software is open. It's, it's freely available, or they say it's, there's a free software. Now, when we say free in this scenario, we don't mean free like beer. We, we, we have to say this. It's free like speech, not like beer, right? It's free in that everybody has rights to it, that it, it lives independently. That's incredibly important for a lot of reasons. One, open source tends to spur a lot of innovation because a lot of people can participate. It's not just employees of one company that are working on it. But then the second one is actually in the cost profile of open source software it tends to be lower in a lot of different ways. Uh, there's never license fees for it is one because you can't license uh, open source software. Any fees that you get to that are really around the support and hosting of that. But then also the exit cost is lower as well. So if you you if you have control of the code, you know you can control your own destiny, and you're not you're not beholden to a company. So 
What OpenLMS has done, there's a platform out there called Moodle. I'm sure hopefully most people in education have heard of it. Uh, it's actually the, the world's dominant ed tech platform. Globally, just under 70% of all institutions of higher education use Moodle as their platform. It's an open source platform. Uh, what OpenLMS has done is we've taken Moodle and we've really professionalized the support, hosting, and delivery of that. If you're familiar with open source software, the best corollary I can come up with is we're kind of what Red Hat is to Linux is what OpenLMS is to Moodle. So you want to use an open source platform, but you need a great vendor to host, support, pick up the phone when you have a problem, be there to help you implement and train. That's what we do. So um, the other joke about open source software is that, you know, it's it's free, but it's but we then say it's it's free like a puppy, right? Somebody gives you a puppy and they say, oh, it's free, but we know that there's an ongoing cost to that. And so the same thing is true of open source. You have to maintain and manage that and support that. And that's what OpenLMS is really designed to do. And that's an example that, that absolutely resonates with me, having, having three dogs. So I can absolutely understand about the dogs. They might be free or there might be a cost when you first get them, but there is absolutely that, that ongoing cost. So, Phil, we've been talking about the pandemic, and I saw a report that was published by the World Economic Forum talking about how back in April of 2020, more than one and a half billion students across 186 countries were affected by school closures due to the pandemic. Now, you've got enormous experience in the LMS market, but you had literally just formed Open LMS in March of 2020. So what was that like? Well, I'm surprised the number's that, that small, actually. I, that number seems almost low to me. But yeah, what, what's really fascinating about the OpenLMS story for the last several years is that OpenLMS for a long time was actually part of Blackboard. On March 1st of 2020, we announced that we were going to separate from Blackboard on April 1st of 2020. And so March 2020 was <laughs> the transition month where OpenLMS became a new company. And of course, in the middle there, <laughs> the world changed, right? And so I'll just give one example of that. In, during one week of March of 2020, we host all of our clients on Amazon Web Services, AWS. In one week, our bill went up by more than 400%, right? Like, which means that people were using wow. our platform more than four times as much as they were the day, the, the, the week before. Um, and so the world just kind of went crazy. I mean, we, we all kind of remember that, but the, that, that transition was incredible. I mean, our team was working around the clock to support our clients, but you know, I've got a lot of respect for our clients as well. And the, the, the professors that were out there that had to transition to online learning, the IT people at colleges and universities, the, the trainers, right? People, the help desk. I mean, all of us that were trying to support this massive shift to online learning, it was a crazy few months. I hope that everybody has mostly recovered from that now, two years later, but it was a big shift. For us, you know, it's interesting. So many businesses across the world were, were kind of, you know, decimated by the, the pandemic. Because of the big shift to online learning, it actually, our business did not only fine, it actually kind of thrived, which feels a little bit weird um, during that time. But, um, but I mean, everything personally, professionally changed it's it's been it's been quite a journey and and we're still in it a little bit although i will say we've seen some transition happen lately we had a few clients that that recently left us and you know i we always reach out and say you know what's going on and we have very few clients that, that leave us but they said you know listen we 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 
purchase this software on a grant to support us during the pandemic or on government mm. funding. And mm -hmm. now that funding's starting to run out. So we're going to move back to face to face. While I know that the pandemic isn't really gone yet and, and COVID is not gone, we are seeing that transition back, but we're seeing it kind of back to a different level than it was before, right? Like, so the online learning part of the hybrid learning is definitely at a higher level than it was beforehand. So it's, it's the, people are calling it the new normal. I don't know if I'm ever going to be okay calling this the new normal, but yeah, it feels like we're at a different place after this, but man, it was a, it was quite a wild ride. And again, not just for us, for everybody personally, professionally, et cetera, but our university and college clients, what a remarkable experience. I mean, you you basically took 10 years of transition to online learning and condensed it into a weekend, you know, like it was crazy. So uh, <laughs> right. it was, it was, it, did. it was kind of an interesting time to form a company too. Our team really came together and it, and I think it actually in the long run probably helped us uh, form the team more effectively. Well, and I think even from, from talking to a lot of people in higher education, I think there's this, this broad awareness that when we get back to what you call normal or the new normal, that that really that's going to be different from what it used to be, that we're really going to be more in this hybrid space where it's not that you're going to go fully back to face-to-face -to -face because you have a lot of people who have not only adapted to but thrived in more of an online environment. And not everybody does, but I know a lot of people do. And I think that there's a recognition that we need to serve both the face-to-face -face and the online needs moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Just talking about the LMS market for a second, in February of this year, Fortune Business Insights, I know, estimated the value of global learning management system markets at like $14.4 billion, excuse me, billion dollars. Billion with a B. This was at the same time that Phil Hill published an update on the state of the higher ed LMS market for the U.S. and Canada, showing that Moodle had at that time captured 21% of the market. I mean, in fact, I think he even noted that the Moodle market share includes Open LMS, so specifically called out uh, your organization. So I wonder if you might take a minute to talk about really the appeal. We've talked about open source, but the appeal of open source solutions like Open LMS to institutions across the country. Yeah, so a couple of quick notes on your question. The $14.4 the, the billion number, that's all LMSs, right? So that's not just higher ed. That's also corporate learning and government learning and all that type of stuff. And yeah, Moodle has a really significant market share in North America. What's interesting is it has an even bigger market share almost everywhere else in the world, right? So even though it's only 21% of the US higher ed market, it's closer to 70% market share in pretty much every other country in the world. And it's in the 80s and 90s in some countries around the world. So Moodle is still the most important LMS in the market. We hear a lot of talk about Blackboard, Canvas, Desire to Learn, but but really Moodle is the the, the market dominant player again, outside of, outside of the U.S., although still really important here. So why does this matter? Well, why, why OpenLMS matters and why Moodle matters in this, in this market, is, there's a couple things. Open source solutions like OpenLMS tend to provide a great deal of flexibility, right? And they, they just support so many use cases because the community of people that interact with the code and create things are coming from a variety of different places. So you've got a you've got a lot of different use cases that are supported. You're you're almost never constrained in how you use the system. Now, that creates some downstream effects, right? Because it's it's kind of like we're giving people enough rope to, rope to hang themselves with. There can be a downside to that flexibility, but but many institutions want that control, right? And that control matters a lot because one of the things that we 
need to think about as we go forward, especially in this, we talked about the big move to online or hybrid is the, the university experience has changed a lot, right? I don't know about you, Brendan, but when I was looking at universities, colleges, I would go to the campus and, you know, you walk around and see the bell tower and uh, all these types of things, right? And if you're going to an online uni- university, if you're going to an online program, even a, a hybrid program, the bell tower and the cafeteria don't matter as much as the system that you use every day. So institutions that really want to have a unique niche environment, that flexibility of controlling the online learning, that's the front door of your campus, right? That's the same as the bell tower and the quad and the gates to your campus is that that first experience that people have in your online environment. So giving that level of control and flexibility is really important. The other part that's important from an open source perspective is the value play, right? We often at OpenLMS tend to be more affordable, especially on a long time horizon, than our commercial competitors. Why is that? Well, first of all, we're open source. We don't employ hundreds of developers who are constantly maintaining the platform because there's a, there we're part of a big community that does that. Uh, but at the same time, one of the most important things that people forget when you adopt a software solution, there's not just the cost of acquiring that solution, There's also eventually, and it may be five or 10 years down the road, the cost of leaving that solution, right? And and if the company that's providing your system gets bought or releases a new version that doesn't work for you, you've then got to go through a change process. And an open source solution often protects you from that cost of exit because you control your own destiny, right? Like you're, um, and that, that gives you, so the, the cost of exit is often way lower. So when you're thinking about total cost of ownership, Open source platforms like OpenLMS or Moodle tend to be way more competitive from a total cost of ownership perspective. Hey, for everyone listening, hang tight. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be back in just one minute. All colleges and universities face challenges in advancing the mission of higher education. Some problems impeding your progress are known, but others are invisible, hidden, impossible to address. Invoke Learning changes everything. Built on revolutionary technology that's light years beyond anything you've seen yet, our leading-edge data platforms and deep analytic solutions give institutions of higher education some real-life superpowers to support the entire student journey. Ask questions you never imagined could be answered. Get unprecedented insights that lead to mission-impacting action. What's holding you back today from taking your mission further tomorrow? Find out and discover just how far you can go. Contact Invoke Learning at www.invokelearning.com. Invoke Learning. This is education empowered. Thanks so much for listening to our sponsor. Let's get back to the show. That level of personalization that you're talking about, I think, is so critical for colleges because you're right. With with a lot of systems, it can be you can you can customize, but only to a certain level, which does make it hard for you to stand out amongst all of your other competitors or schools that students may be considering in addition to your own. But more importantly, I think you mentioned the cost of exit, mm-hmm. and I think that's something that really it's it, you don't really think about it until it's too late, right? That idea of well, I know what it's going to cost me to onboard, to transition, to migrate, to use this on an ongoing basis. But it's often the question that, that people forget to ask until it's too late, which is, 
what's it going to cost me to leave this platform in the future if I ever need to or want to for my institution? Absolutely. And if you're the CIO at a university or a college and you're running an RFP for any solution, it should be part of your criteria. What's going to happen if you're asked to switch? It could be because the company gets bought. It could be because there's a new version or it could be because the, the software no longer meets your requirements and they change. But that I mean, you think about an ERP system or especially the really big systems, the idea of ripping those out and replacing that can be a, a tens of millions of dollars endeavor. And, and even for smaller systems, it can have a really big impact. So our goal is to help our clients avoid that and to really reduce that, especially that cost of exit. We want to give them control. This is part of what open, one of the real benefits of open source. Now, one of the other things I know you and I have talked about is that you've got a, uh, a user conference coming up, which I always think is exciting to do because you're getting a lot of different people that are using your platform together to collaborate on different ideas. But as you mentioned, you've got so many customers inside of higher ed and outside of higher ed or even outside of the country. How, how do you bring all of those people together at one conference uh, in a meaningful way? Is that, is that a, a challenge? <laughs> well, we don't know yet. This is our first ever users conference. We we were, as I said, we formed <laughs> we formed the company coming out of Blackboard in 2020, and of course, the idea of having a face to face users conference for the last couple of years was a non starter. But we do have a wide variety of clients. I mean, we have some of the largest universities in the world. We have statewide agreements for community college systems, or as they call them in other parts of the world, further education uh, groups. So, but we also have companies that are using us for sales training. And uh, we have an auto manufacturer that every time they release a new car, they train all of their dealers using our platform. And uh, one of the things we've seen a lot recently is a lot of uh, medical associations that that use us to provide continuing education to their the members, right? Uh, the, so it's a really diverse, and part of that comes from the open source, the flexibility that we talked about, right? And, and the, the platform can so, serve a lot of use cases. Now, how you bring those together in a user's conference, one hypothesis is, you know, you, you kind of have different tracks. You know, let's put all the higher ed people in this room, and let's put all the corporate people in this room, and let's put all the nonprofit people in this room. Um, and, and there might be reasons to do that, um, but we're actually kind of thinking about leaning into it and saying, you know what, we're talking about learning here. Let's have the, the university sit next to the community college, sit next to the, the corporation, sit next to the association. And instead, let's talk about how people learn and how to use the system to do that and see if through the diversity of, of the client base and the diversity of opinions, if we actually don't spur better thinking yeah, maybe it's a little bit of both, right? That That's probably the, the right solution, but we'll see. We're, so we're going to be in Phoenix at the end of February with not just our clients, but also a broader community. Part of the Open LMS family is we actually have a community of learning professionals that's called the eLearn Magazine. And there's there's a bunch of people that contribute and, and take place uh, take part in that. So we're hoping to have a really nice turnout and we're going to talk about all things e-learning. I mean, if you want to geek out on e-learning, Phoenix is going to be the place to be at the end of February. It should be fun. Do you have a name for the the conference or a name for the event? It's called the Open LMS Connected Conference. And we called it Connected because especially after, you know, two and a half years of being apart, we want our users, we want our clients, we want ed tech professionals to really start to connect and to start not only physically as, as humans, but also to start to connect the ideas that they have uh, across different you know, part of you mentioned before, and I didn't mention this uh, earlier, we are, 
we're not only geographically distributed as a team, our clients are very geographically distributed as well. We've got about 300-ish clients in Australia, for example, and a bunch in Brazil and Colombia and Chile and then in the U.S. And, and different things are happening in education in different parts of the world, and we want to connect those ideas as well. Uh, by the way, if you're in Indiana like I am in Phoenix at the end of February, does not sound too bad. Well, something I was thinking about as we were talking was... The idea, we talked about open source and yet OpenLMS is a private company, which creates some benefits, but also some challenges because you're developing things, obviously, that, that the market demands or that your clients need that may not be part of the, the open source uh, packages. But I think OpenLMS really has been leading the way, I think, showing how a privately held LMS company, but built on open source software, can still be committed to the ideas, uh, ideals of being open and transparent. In fact, last year, you announced your commitment to open source by uh, committing to distributing core OpenLMS modules and enhancements via a GPL v3 or the new general public license. So why was that important to you? Well, it's a, it's, first of all, I think there's a big misconception that, that um, open source, and it kind of goes back to that free like speech, not like beer comment, uh, that open source can't provide for-profit, can't create for-profit companies. In fact, I think for-profit companies are an important part of any open source movement. If you look at things like PHP, which is open source, the primary driver behind PHP is Facebook, right? They, they built their system on Facebook and they continue to evolve that. Companies like Microsoft, Google, all of them are using and participating in open source projects. And so there's, I think it's a, often a big misconception that, that there's this big chasm and that you're evil if you make money using open source software. I, I just think that's, I think it's an a, a unfortunate misconception. Why is it important for us? We make our money based on supporting and hosting and delivering the LMS. We do not make money off of license fees. And so at the end of the day, we want the open source community to be thriving because that creates more potential opportunity for us. Again, this is one of those symbiotic relationships for where a for-profit and an open source community can come together. So yeah, we made a commitment to contribute by the vast majority of all of our code to the open source community. There are a few things that are very specific to our architecture that we, we can't really open source for a variety of reasons, but, uh, and we've been working hard on it. We've released dozens and dozens of modules. It takes time, right? It's a commitment because you, when you put something out in the open source community, you can't just leave it sitting there, right? If, if somebody downloads it and asks you a question, you have to respond. And if somebody finds a bug, you have to fix it, right? So it's a pretty big commitment, but it is important to do that. And it's also important to establish that we're, we're really participating in this community. The idea that if you're a university or a college that, that is depending on a company to support your LMS or your student information system or whatever, you actually want them to be a nice, healthy company, right? That gives you them the chance to invest in a roadmap. It gives them a chance to invest in support and services. Oh, that makes total sense. Hey, Phil, one of the things I love to ask guests on the show is if you have a story or experience uh, from your own background that others may not know about that might help them get a little bit of that higher edge. Is there a story you have that you might share? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell the story in a minute, but I mean, the, the principle that I learn over and over again as a technology leader is that in general, technology problems are pretty straightforward, right? A computer only does what you tell it to do. The real complicated challenges are people problems and organizational problems. And so I'll, I'll, I'll share this story that from early in the pandemic, one of our clients called me a few months into the pandemic. They were just telling this story about this big shift. 
this client had been on Moodle for many years and they said, you know, every Thursday for the last five or six years, we've been hosting Moodle training and generally we get three or four or five people that show up and it's often the same people and it's actually the people that don't need training. They're just trying to do something really fancy. And then the pandemic struck and the first week of fully online in the pandemic, they had something like 85 or 90 people show up for a Moodle training, right? Wow. And, and so, you know, the tech in, in the interim there, the technology didn't change, right? Nothing in Moodle changed from one week to the next, but the, the needs changed and therefore the organization needed to change and the people needed to change. And so it's, it's really important to think, especially if you're in a technology company or if you're a CIO at a university, you know, you got to think about things not as necessarily as technology problems, but as people problems. And technology is a way to help solve those. But, but really understanding how those two fit together, that's the, that's the big lesson that I've not only, I, I won't say I've even learned it yet because I forget it often, right? I, I say, oh, we can just, we'll release a new feature for that. And then, <laughs> and then you go talk to clients and they don't realize that you released a new feature, right? That's the, the thing that I have to keep reminding myself is, you know, focus on the people, focus on the organization, the technology problems, the, the, some the, those are actually simple, right? Computers only speak ones and zeros, so it can't be that complicated. But the people problems, man, they speak a million different languages. I, I think that's the, the lesson that I would want to share. Such a great one to remember, too, because and it, it's even outside of IT, whether you're talking about processes or you're talking about anything that ultimately the people are at the heart of everything that we do. And I think that that's very cool insight. Thanks. So, Phil, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience with us. Hey, my pleasure. It's all it's great to see what you guys are doing uh, here. It was great to see you at Educause. Uh, and also for you guys to connect with, you know, we have our own podcast, the eLearn podcast, the eLearn magazine. Uh, great to connect you guys at Educause. Educause finally feels like it's going again. So uh, after a couple of years away, it was good to see everybody. Uh, it's like a big family reunion for those of us that are ed tech nerds. So great to see you there. And for our listeners, we've been talking to Phil Miller, Managing Director of Open LMS. Hey, Phil, if listeners would like to reach out to you with questions about today's episode or to continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to contact you? I mean, I'm maybe a little old school. My email address, philip.miller at openlms.net.net.com, just not, not .com, just to note there. Um, we also, I mean, if you're interested in Open LMS, we're everywhere, as you expect, LinkedIn, YouTube. Uh, podcasts, etc. So openlms.net. And uh, we'd love to hear from you and love for you to be a part of our community, whether you use our software or not. I think you'd find interesting things happening in the open LMS community. Phil, thank you so much for coming on and being guest with us here on the higher edge. Hey, for everyone listening, I'm Brendan Aldrich, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the higher edge. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a review if you loved the show and be sure to connect with Brendan on LinkedIn. Know someone who's making big changes at their higher ed institution that belongs on this podcast? Drop us a line at podcasts at thehigheredge.com. The Higher Edge is sponsored by Invoke Learning in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by individuals during the podcast are their own. See how Invoke Learning is empowering higher education at invokelearning.com. Invoke Learning.